Mark, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Mark. So I uh, I met Stacy before Stacy met me. Um, I was in and out of these rooms for seven years as a chronic relapser, and I would often uh, fly the victim flag, saying that nobody was giving me the message of recovery, uh, which was actually not true because I was hearing it. It just wasn't the majority. And um, in those seven years, I, I, I heard Stacy. Stacy was in Medicine Hat for, for a period of time, and he was very active in Medicine Hat recovery. And, and I heard Stacy talking about the big book from the podium. He had never met me, but in those seven years, I, I do remember him. And in my time, I spent quite a bit of time in Lethbridge over the last couple of years as well. And, and um, here's a guy that's 40 plus years sober. He's excited now as he was about recovery, uh, an early recovery and he's doing the deal he's active he's involved and he takes alcoholism very seriously and and i got a lot of respect for the no nonsense no bullshit type recovery right so stacy come on up and tell us how you did it who hired the sound guy <laughs> Morning, everyone. I'm Stacy, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, it's been a fantastic weekend. I'm really happy uh, to have seen everybody this weekend. Um, it's just been so good to reconnect, you know. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the steps uh, that I've heard and a lot of talk about carrying the message. And, um, you know, a lot of times when we're thinking about carrying the message to a still-suffering alcoholic, I think we got to be mindful sometimes that that isn't always necessarily the newcomer, right? You know that uh, there's many times that people have been coming for years and years and and uh, could be going through some stuff, and but you know they're suffering, right? And whatever it is, they may not talk about it or may not want to share it. Might be pride, might be just not wanting to dump problems on people's meetings, but. Uh, yeah, always uh, doesn't always necessarily mean the newcomer when we're carrying that message. Right? That's something I sure learned uh, through my own personal experience. Um, I came into uh, AA when I was 21, back in 1984, <laughs> and uh, I was a, uh, uh, a drug dealer from the streets of Edmonton with a grade nine education, you know, and uh, that's all I brought to the table when I came to AA. And, uh, but I can really speak to the fact where the book talks about pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. That's exactly how I felt when I walked in through the doors of the program, you know? I was absolutely beaten into submission to being open to a different way of living, you know? I'd been out of prison since I was 16 years old. And uh, everything that I touched, anyone who knew me did not benefit from knowing me. My family I destroyed, and I was just broken by the time I got to AA, you know? And of course, there were some old-timers who would say things like, oh, I spilled more than you ever drank, young fella. And I said, man, what I did in six years took you friggin' 50, man, trust me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but I wouldn't say what was really on my mind, you know, because I really had nothing to say to people. Early on in the program, I you couldn't get two words out of me, you know, and it was a good thing, right, because it put me in a position to listen. And so uh, I got to know a few people early on back in Edmonton, 
to uh, took me under their wing, right? And that's all I'm going to share with you. That's how I got sober. And, uh, you know, just stick to my story with that regard. Uh, and how I've managed to stay sober since that point. But, um, yeah, it was the Monday night campus group in Edmonton, and it was a pretty big meeting. They had over 100 members there. And, you know, any Monday night you'd go, there'd be over 100 people, right? And uh, the birthday meeting on the last Monday of the month, Man, we'd get two, three hundred people in that gymnasium celebrating birthdays for the people who were celebrating birthdays at the end of the month. And it was a really uh, big deal. But uh, what they did at that meeting is it was, it was a 12 by 12 meeting. Um, when you were a newcomer, they put you in a newcomer's group for eight weeks, right? And uh, what they did is they give you like a basic introduction to what AA was and the big book and, and you know what the fellowship is and what it isn't, what we do and what we don't do. and and uh, and looking back, you know, it was a good education for me because I didn't have a whole lot to say back then, so I just absorbed what these guys were telling me. And um, after the eight weeks, I graduated to my main group. It's kind of funny looking back now, but uh, <clears throat> it worked for me. And I remember uh, I felt I had arrived. Eh? <laughs> no. And uh, I became a greeter for the campus group. And, you know, when you get 100 people come into the meeting and you're standing at the doorway, you know, shaking people's hands when they're coming in, a funny thing happens, right? One, you feel like you're part of the group, right? You know? And two, you feel like you're contributing to the group, you know? And, and also, when you start doing useful things in AA, as one of the promises says, that feeling of uselessness leaves, right? And so all those things began happening for me and just, of course, meeting all the people who would come every Monday night to the meeting. But uh, anyways, there were a core group of guys at this group. They were kind of like the gurus there. And, and uh, you know, and I was very impressionable when I was younger uh, in the program. And uh, the guys who were over 20 years and 25 years were like gods, you know, spiritual gurus. And, they were just so intense about the program, and, and, but they would give you the shirt off their back for you, you know? And, uh, and I remember sitting thinking to myself after I got a taste of AA, you know, that I just, I really wanted it all, right? And uh, because I was done with my old life, you know? I was done with the joint, I was done with uh, that lifestyle and just all the pain and humiliation that came with it, you know? I was shooting up drugs when I was 15 years old, right? And so that's why I said I felt like I had done so much by the time I arrived uh, to the program and, um, and that there wasn't the anything I hadn't done. But it is the truth because someone's always done something worse or, you know, done something more. But it was just where I was at the time I got to the program, I'm just broken. And uh, they would always remind me of that, you know? And uh, but the way I would watch these fellows uh, treat some other people, you know, and I would think they were pretty god darn harsh, right? And uh, because of the other meetings I was going to, people weren't being that way, you know? They weren't that mean. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, what spoke volumes as well was after the meeting, we'd all go for coffee after to the Sunshine Donut Shop on 109th Street on the south side there. We'd fill this place up, you know, it was about this size, and, and uh, you could smoke back then, and <laughs> it was just uh, good old AA, you know? And uh, I was so happy to be part of uh, something and uh, be with the people that uh, understood, you know?
Because up until that point in my life, I'd never really felt that kind of camaraderie, you know, and that fellowship and that brotherly love and, and uh, just being with my people. And, uh, but you know what, you guys, that, that's a part of the cement which binds us in AA, what the real cement that binds us is the program, you know, is uh, <laughs> the solution. The fact that we're on this road of happy destiny together, right? So, uh, you know, one of the guys in this group said he was going to start a big book study. It was in September, and, and he laid it out for us that uh, we were going to go through the steps together, and we would be done in the spring, right, in May, April, May. It was going to take us about eight, nine months to do that. So I joined this book study, and you still got to understand, I wasn't speaking at meetings at this point. I was just... You know, taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. Besides, I really didn't think I had anything to contribute except I'm drinking yesterday. It really was without a part. And, uh, yeah, and we started going through the steps. I sh showed up to that book study, and it was about 30 men there. We met at the Ambassador Hotel downtown in Edmonton. And uh, we met every Sunday morning. And uh, the guy who was leading the book study said to us, he said, okay, you gotta make the commitment, right? Uh, no misses for any reason whatsoever, unless, you know, something very serious, of course. Of course, it'd be understandable, but uh, you had to make that commitment to the group. And he said, we're not just gonna read the big book, right? We're actually gonna do the steps together with each other, and nobody's gonna hold up the group, right? So uh, you're going to be given homework every week, every week to read. You're going to come back, and you're going to talk about it, and uh, tell us how it worked for you, you know? Pretty serious shit, right? I'm like 21 years old, and I'm thinking, holy crap, right? I'm thinking about my buddies on the street. I'm thinking about my old lifestyle and missing the rowdiness, the excitement, you know? And I wouldn't think about how I felt when I came in. I was thinking about my past, good times, right? And uh, but when I would come to the meeting every Sunday morning, I'd get quickly reminded of what was there, you know. And, uh, and I was scared, right? I was just, I didn't know if I wanted to be in AA the rest of my life. Like I said, I was 21 at the time, and I thought, oh, man, like, you know, it could be like 50, 60, 70 years if I lived that long, you know? But you hear little things, right, that uh, carry a little bit of depth of weight, if you will. And, uh, you know, one of them is uh, just a day at a time, you know. They would look at me and say, you can do it today, Stacy, you know. And we're here to help you. And you're not going to do it alone. And we've been there. We know what it's like. And, uh, but the thing is, you know, sometimes you'll hear the program that time doesn't mean anything. But there is a saying, right, try getting some, you know. You're a chronic, hopeless, helpless alcoholic. Uh, you know, we can talk about all those things in AA, but if we can't say, bring time to the table, right, let people know that we have continuous sobriety, like, what's the point, you know? So that's kind of like the message I bring, right? I'm 39 years, came in, and uh, took the steps of AA, and I haven't used any mind-altering substance since. Considering where I came from, that's pretty much a miracle, right? And I can bear witness to that fact. That may not impress some people, but I know it impresses other people, you know? And that's what I bring to the table. So in all the 
the odds were against me up here in my head, right, where I was thinking, man, man, you know, it's like I'm going to screw this up like I've screwed everything else up in my life. Those fellas, they stayed on me, you know, and they would say things to me like, because I'd run into other meetings and so forth, and they would say things like, did you read your book today, young fella? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and how'd that work for you, right? There was this buddy of mine I kind of sobered up with uh, three months apart, and and uh, he was about a couple of years older than me. Kelly was 23, and we were like glue for the first few years there. We went to meetings together all the time, and and we hung out. And we were in that book study together, and and uh, we would go visit uh, his sponsor in his office in downtown Edmonton, right uh, down the Four Seasons Hotel, and. Uh, I remember one time, uh, you know, we'd go up and we'd be sitting in Pat's office and, and he'd have the big book, right? Right on the corner of his desk there, right? And uh, I remember one day I went in there and he, he picked it up and he goes, you know what I found in here today that I'd never seen before, right? And he was about 25 years sober. And uh, I'm just this punk off the street, right? And he's living this great life. and. And I wouldn't feel worthy going into places like that, right? I felt like I didn't measure up just because of what a piece of crap I was. But he would say, sit down, sit down, you know, and, and things like this. I want to show you something. And I remember thinking to myself, man, you know, I hope I have that passion. <laughs> you know, when uh, I'm 25 years sober, if that should happen. And I can sit here today and tell you I do. Right? And it's not because I'm a good guy, you know, it's not because I'm a smart guy, right? It's because I've just been doing what I've been shown to do and uh, trying to keep uh, sobriety a number one priority in my life since day one. And so, uh, yeah, we went through the steps and we did them all together and there was only about 15 of us left by spring, you know, which is normal, because he told us this would happen. He'd say, half you guys will be here. <laughs> and we're like, what, what, you know? And, and uh, but he was right. And uh, yeah, we had gone through the steps in, uh, you know, uh, about nine months time. And I remember when we came to step three, you know, he would direct this thing and he would say, okay, Stacy, you're going to do yours with such and such and you're going to do yours with such and such kind of thing, right? And, and I remember he picked this guy, his name was Orest, he was a Ukrainian fellow, right? He was about 45 or so, and big man. And, and I'm thinking, oh my God, man, I got to get on my knees with this guy, right? <laughs> do this prayer, you know? And, uh, Anyways, uh, I did, and uh, it was an awesome experience, right? And then I did it with my buddy Kelly. We were at his basement suite, and uh, yeah, you know, he's like a 23-year-old man. I'm 21, and we're on our knees, and, you know, we reading the third step of the big book, and then, you know, we recited the prayer, right, uh, one after another. And, uh, and then I know it's just by doing things like that that I'm sober today, um, because at the time, Right, as stupid as I felt, and as you know, uh, lousy I suppose I felt at the time. Actually doing it, uh, I was rewarded with the fruits of my labor, you know. And I tried to encourage that with anybody uh, when they're going through the steps. You know, it's really awkward to do this stuff, right? It's really awkward to, you know, level it a pride, you know, and, and take it on the chin, if you will, about some things and. 
But if you go through it, you know, you're rewarded. You're rewarded. And uh, that's what's happened to me. So, yeah. And uh, anyways, yeah, so we would go back to the book study and then we'd talk about what it was like to do it with the next person, right? And if nobody did it, what Pat would do is uh, he would tell them, okay, well, you, why didn't you do it, right? You're holding up the group kind of thing. It was a really accountable thing, you know? It was almost like really regimented, but... It's what I needed, you know. I needed that kind of uh, rigidness, if you will. I needed to be told what to do, and uh, and I responded. Right. I ended up going through all twelve steps. The next year, uh, Kelly and I did a book study for young guys. Right. We were told you had now you had to get out there and spread the message. Say, and and uh, Kelly and I ran this book study in Edmonton for young people. You know, coming into the program, and. Uh, we still didn't know a whole lot to be able to like quote, you know, quotes out of the book and things like that. But we had the, uh, you know, the right attitude and initiative, if you will, to, to help others. And uh, I remember him and I went up to Pat's office to talk to him about what we were going to do the next week. And, and uh, Kelly and I are just arguing, you know, when we're uh, <clears throat> talking about what we're going to do. And, and, uh, Pat looks at us and he's got this huge smile on his face, right? <laughs> My buddy and I are just going at each other, you know, about uh, what this means or what that means. And, and uh, he goes, look at you two. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, we both just kind of looked at him, right? And uh, he goes, isn't that beautiful? You know, isn't that wonderful? Right? And Kelly and I were just kind of like at each other's throats, eh? And, you know, you're, you're young and you're raw. And uh, uh, just look at you two arguing about what's in the big book, right? How about that, you know? And him and Kelly and I just kind of look at each other like deer in the headlights look, right? And, uh, and we went, yeah, you know, we're not really thinking about drinking right now, are we? Right? And so I guess the message I'm trying to say there is that, uh, yeah, by, uh, you know, going through the book and getting busy in the program, the obsession leaves. And, it, and it's the only way, right? And so, uh, yeah, we took these young guys again through this uh, book study, and, and uh, we were just incredibly active. I mean, I was single. I had no career, you know. I, uh, I had no mortgage payment. I had nothing, right? So I was free to to go to 10,000 meetings a week if I wanted to, but, uh, and that's that, but that's what I did. I went to meetings all over the city of Edmonton and, and I got to know some, some great people and, and, uh, yeah, and I was there for about the first seven years of my sobriety. And, uh, then I moved uh, to Cranbrook in 1990 and, uh, I, I went there to get a rest. I actually had been working in the hotel industry in Edmonton. And I just basically burned myself out with work and, and uh, just wanted to get away for a year. So I picked Cranbrook, a small town in the Kootenays, and uh, <clears throat> never been, but it was a beautiful place. And, and uh, you know, I took a job in shipping receiving at this plumbing wholesaler, and it was really bad for my ego at that time, but it was good for my ego. But anyways... Um, yeah, and I was really active uh, uh, in uh, AA in Cranbrook in, in District 24. There I became the DCM after about a few years. Of course, I was a GSR before that. But uh, anyways, when I first moved there, um, I was about 28, 29 years old. 
and um, and they were pretty set in their ways in that little town, right? You know, and I'd never lived in a small town before in my life, and um, so I just brought this big city noise to that little town in the Kootenays, right? And and I was fearless back then, you know. I mean, I said what was on my mind when it came to the program, and I really didn't care uh, what anybody thought about that. And I remember, you know, when I went there, I was just, when it came to AA, it was just a stick to what I know and what I've learned, right, up until that point. If I do that, I'll be fine, right? But it didn't work out that well uh, initially, right? I, I got a lot of flack for some of the stuff I was talking about. And, and not that they were doing things wrong. It's just uh, they weren't doing everything right, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, when I remember going to that first district meeting and uh, it's like, who the hell is this young son of a bitch think he is kind of stuff, you know? And, and, uh, and it was tough for a little while because I didn't know anybody there and I was home alone in my apartment, you know, and wondering, like, oh, what the hell did I do, you know? And... Uh, you know, and a big part of what we are in Alcoholics Anonymous is turning it over, right, on a daily basis to God, right? And I really, really learned at that time how far I had to develop spiritually still, you know? And I wouldn't have learned that if I never would have left Edmonton because I was pretty secure in my environment back there and, and I got, I, I think, maybe a false sense of security and how spiritually fit I was. But then when I went to the Goodies and I was by myself, you know, I was getting flack in AA, arguing with people about the program and debating stuff, and I wasn't feeling good, you know, and, uh, uh, and I became afraid, right? And, uh, and I just thought, man, I got so much farther to go spiritually. <laughs> yeah, because just you and God, I mean, it's, it's, it's a way of call, trust me. And I, I've experienced that many times since as well, you know. But um, anyways, yeah, and, but I just uh, stuck with the punches and uh, Ray Massey was our delegate at that time uh, for Area 78 and uh, I remember I phoned him hey, from, uh, from Cranbrook because I was just really concerned about what, what I was doing was best or was right or was I just totally way off base with how I was handling things. And, and I remember him saying to me, well, you know, it's an easy controversy ain't such a bad thing once in a while, you know? And I thought, easy for you to say when you're sitting in Calgary and everybody loves you, man. You know? There's going to be a lynching here in Cranbrook before long. And, uh, but, you know, I had to walk that talk, right? And there was nobody there to prod uh, me along and pat me on the back and, you know, tell me I was this great guy and I was doing so well. Uh, it was just me and the higher power walking through those days alone for a while. And, uh, but thank God I had that, you know, because that's what saw me through. And thank God, you know, that I learned what I would learned in uh, Edmonton about the program and, and, you know, the different aspects of it. And, and uh, because it gave me the fortitude to follow through, right? So, yeah, I uh, became uh, GSR and then the DCM for District 24. And I traveled all the little towns in District 24 and Fernie and... And Vermeer and, you know, Kimberly, Creston, Sparwood, Elkford, and, and I was living a life, man. You know what I mean? Because I grew up in the city of Edmonton, and I was traveling all the Kootenays as the DCM for District 24. And, and it was tough at first, but 
you know, uh, once they saw that I had a little bit of knowledge about the program, and not just the big book, but, you know, uh, the 12 and 12 and the service manual and some other things, I'd done my homework. And, and that's the one thing that's always been a, a thing for me, right, is that it's the literature that preserves the integrity of who we are, right? We can hear some people with 40 years sobriety talking a good game sometimes, you know, but it sure is bullshit, right? You know, what you hear sometimes. And, uh, and I've learned that, to decipher through that, that uh, the written literature is the spoken word here in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? And so I studied them. I studied the 12 by 12. You know, I, the language of heart when it came out was a really good book about the history of how AA came to be. And I studied that one, and uh, you know, of course, the service manual. And uh, you know, and so, you know, as I was going through my life, I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And um, in my own self, and my development with the higher power. But um, go, go, going through the steps with a person, another person, like one to one. Was kind of different because as I was getting stronger in the program, I kind of get got a little cocky, I suppose, and starts sticking my nose in where it didn't belong, and all for the good of the movement, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, but sometimes, you know, I've I've just learned with age that sometimes it's just best not to have to be right, you know, and not you don't really need to stick your nose in there, Stacy. Pick your battles in life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I stayed in Cranbrook. My kids were born there, and um, I stayed there about 10, 11 years. And, and uh, you know, the thing I want to kind of want to say is everywhere I've lived in my sobriety, because my work has taken me around, you know, I can honestly sit here and say to you that I've left my legacy in AA there, you know, that I really tried to uh, make a conscientious effort of leaving my mark, you know. Uh, not leaving my mark per se, but you know, to be part of the legacy of what this program is all about, and uh, and that's never stopped, and that's why I believe I really still had the enthusiasm that uh, old timer with 25 years at that time had. You know, is that uh, it's because it's the program that's given it to me and the higher power, and uh, yeah, and I moved to Medicine Hat in 2001, and. Um, I was just thinking about this. I went to the meeting yesterday morning when I got into town at 10 o'clock, and I remember sitting in there, and, you know, it was either the first day I got here or the second day I got here, uh, I went to the noon meeting downtown there, and then uh, people said, yeah, there's the green building out by the airport. These meetings are every night, right? You know, and uh, at 8 o'clock. Oh, cool, right? Best, way, best thing to do is get plugged in wherever you go. It's the best way to get over that loneliness and fear because I didn't know a single soul in Madison Hat either, right? But I knew what to expect this time. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I went Tuesday night uh, to the uh, meeting out there, and I'm looking around, and it's all freaking women in there, right? There must have been like a dozen women in there, and I'm thinking, all right, yeah, let's look, eh? Yeah. And they're all looking at me, you know, and I can tell they're kind of, they're just, you know, give me this look, right? Well, it turned out to be the Al-Anon meeting, right? <laughs> you know, I thought, it was, uh, whatever, you know, but uh, there you go. I remember Randy, Randy's wife was there, and, and uh, yeah, she was real sweet to me. <laughs> 
man, that was kind of embarrassing. But um, anyways, yeah. And so what I knew up until that point, right, was always to just take everything you learned and just stick to what you know and you'll just be fine. And, and that's what I did when I came to the hat, right? Like I became an intergroup rep and then next thing you know, I was chairing intergroup and I became, you know, a GSR and then I became the DCM here and uh, then went on to serve on the area committee after that. Uh, for Area 78, and uh, looked after remote communities for a couple of years, you know, and, uh, and that was a great experience, right? But uh, I also, uh, when I got to Medicine Hut, um, 30 days after I got here, I got my kids full time, right? And they were like eight and six at the time, and uh, so here I was in this new town doing this new job I'd taken on, and uh, and my kids, you know, had uh, landed on my door. And man, did my life change, right? You know, um, because basically my life consisted of getting up in the morning, getting my kids to school, working my ass off at work and getting back home and taking care of them till nine o'clock and then doing my office work after nine, right? I was getting to about two meetings a week at that time because I was just so darn busy. But you know what? I was always plugged in, right? And I always found time to be able to contribute to the program. I've always been in a position where I've able, been able to put sobriety first every day. And if there's something I can uh, say to the people who are new or relatively new, which is really uh, the key to it all is to do that, you know, is to uh, sobriety first every morning, no matter what, right? Um, I'll tell you a little story. My first night sharing in a group here in Madison Hat. My son was about 13 years old at the time, 14 years old, and I left the keys to my BMW hanging on my uh, my uh, <clears throat> on my wall when I was chairing the intergroup meeting, and I saw I got a voicemail on my phone from the Madison Hat City Police after I got out of that intergroup meeting. You know, I was all feeling great about the intergroup meeting, and I got out of it, and uh, I was supposed to call the police right away, and yeah, my son took my the Fast and the Furious was really popular. <laughs> yeah, so he decided he was going to take it for a joyride and uh, told my car over the South Ridge and uh, everyone lived. But yeah, you know, we all make our sacrifices with some things. And, you know, at times you, you question yourself, well, should I be here or should I be there? And that was one of them. You know, I'm thinking I should have been at home with my kids, around a damn intergroup meeting, you know. and. And, uh, but things unfold as they do, right? And today, but, I mean, both my kids are doing so well now. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, through the years, I mean, it was never my plan to be a member of AA. It was never a plan to uh, stay here uh, as long as I did. But uh, I've been able to for a number of reasons, right? And I was getting involved and always staying involved. It's been about carrying the message and about standing on my own two feet, you know? I became a man, if you will, uh, uh, in this program. Uh, I was just a 21-year-old, uh, like punk I said, off the street when I got here, and I had the intellect and emotional nature of a 13-year-old, right? Like I was that young. But I'm so grateful for it, because I can look back 39 years, right? And I can still see the faces of those men who took me under their wing and showed me the way, right? They saw how sick I was, and they would teach me things like, you know, any person that comes into the program of AA, we owe them the absolute best possible chance they can have of saving their own life, right? And they took the shit serious. 
you know, because they would say, we're not playing with our asses here, we're playing with our lives, right? And I'd respond, I love that shit, you know, because uh, it had been doing so much for me, and my life had been changing so much. And uh, I can remember one particular time, a fellow was talking in a meeting, and he talked about what it says in the book, and Pat, who was leading the group at the time, grabs the book off the table, right? Throws it over to the guy, right, and says, uh, where does it say that? Where does it say that? You know? And I and I would watch and observe this kind of stuff, and like, holy shit, right? So guess what I do at my first book study, you know, that I'm running with my buddy Kelly. You know, a fella I thought said something that wasn't in the book, and I took the book and you know, I said, Where does it say that? And they all freaked out on me. Right? And I'm thinking <laughs> Uh, I was just, you know, trying to be like him, hey, and, and following his footsteps, but here's the thing, right, he had the time in, you know, I was like a year, year and a half sober at the time, and, and people thought that I was being really heartless, and yeah, when I had done it, and, but I learned my lessons going through those type of experiences, you know, um, but the thing is, is I suppose I've been a hardliner uh, in AA uh, throughout the years, if you will, um, I got sober, I suppose, the old school way, you know, I showed up broken, hopeless, wishing for the end, I reached the jumping off place, I was done, you know, and uh, these guys said, you, do, you just follow us, Stacy, and you'll just be, you'll be fine, you just gotta trust us, you know, and I needed that. I had to get a sponsor, I had to get a group, and I had to go through the steps, and I had to read that big book every day, right? And I had to extend my hand to the newcomer. And uh, at times, I really didn't want to do any of that shit, but they kept me accountable, you know, because I wanted what they had, ultimately, and they were living good, happy lives. Some were rich, some weren't, some had a nice car, some didn't, didn't matter. You know, they were just a really great bunch of fellows and I wanted that and so that's what I try to offer to people still to this day is what they offered me when I came in and uh, and I can you know everywhere I've been I've ran book studies you know I've taken people through the steps I've sponsored many uh, this particular last year I chaired the roundup in uh, Lethbridge and it was a wonderful time being involved with that uh, I met a priest I was talking to Paul earlier yesterday about this. I met a priest earlier this year who was in his 70s. And uh, those kind of men intimidated me, you know, because I didn't think I was very spiritual. And I questioned Mark's motives for asking me to speak at a spiritual meeting. <laughs> I'm not really, don't see myself that way at all. But, uh, you know, this guy's been a, a priest since he was about 20 years old. And, and uh, he came in his mid-70s. He started drinking in his 50s. And and uh, just really found himself in trouble, right? And uh, and he asked me to sponsor him, and and uh, and also I knew what to do was to show him what was shown to me 40 years ago, right? 39 years ago. And I said to him, I remember sitting across from him saying, "This is how it's going to go down." <laughs> uh, he tried to give me a look, you know, and I said, uh, "You're just going to do what I tell you, you know." what I show you, and I'm prepared to walk that walk with you. And, uh, and we did, I took him through the steps this year, and 
you know, he thought by coming to AA, he was just, he had this preconceived idea, it was just a bunch of people talking about quitting drinking, he had no idea it was a spiritual program, right? You know, based on Christian principles. And, uh, and so, I can remember uh, when I did his third step with them, we were at his church, and it was a Friday morning, and, and uh, we both got on our knees, you know, where he gives his service every Sunday, and, uh, and here I am with this man, right, this, this grade nine educated drug dealer off the streets of Edmonton, you know, and who would have planned this, right? Who would have ever thought this? And that may not mean anything to anybody, but I've always been intimidated by people like that, right? And it's still to this very day, I catch myself and, you know, whether I'm worthy enough or not, and, uh, and I battle with it. But I've worked through it, and I walk through it, and it leaves. But um, it was an incredible experience, right, doing that with him. And uh, he had a little bit to the third step prayer after we were done. And, but just a complete transformation, you know, right? Him coming in at the age he is, and uh, just being so willing to, to do what he had to do. And um, yeah, and so like five months later, we were through the steps and he's a changed man, right? He's recovered, you know, just like I am. That's all I want to talk about, recovered. The very first page in our big book says what, right? You know, it says Alcoholics Anonymous. Right, our title page. The story of many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. How simple is that? <laughs> you know, but over the years, I've seen people twist that and bend it and alter it and ch change it and, and, and try to say, well, that isn't really what it means, you know, because we're always recovering. And, uh, but you know what? It doesn't say that anywhere in the book. I know I'm a grateful, recovered alcoholic, right? I did recover in that first, first year as a result of going through the steps, right? But it's the only way it happens, right? We have to do the steps. And, uh, and we have to become students. I've heard many great speakers over the years, right? And uh, there's this one guy, um, I think he's passed on, but he was from Prince Albert Seas. And uh, uh, I saw him speak at the Campus Blue Jean Roundup in Edmonton, right? And he talked about his uh, seven minutes of God exercise, right? And he quoted these pages really fast. I'm like, whoa, man. But anyways, he uh, said it's what he does every morning, right? And he reads page 13, 63, 76, 83 through 88, 164, right? And he calls that his seven minutes with God. That's his daily discipline. And he does it regardless how he feels, what he has going on, right? Um, what's really important, maybe coming down the pike or whatever. First and foremost, he makes sure that's what he does is that spiritual discipline, right? And so I just went at it, you know, because I can probably pretty much recite it to this day. I've read it so much daily. And, uh, and it's helped me tremendously, you know? And... I've tried sharing that with people over the years, and some respond to it, some don't, you know. But how can you go wrong ever, right, by reading the big book, right? Really and truly. But yeah, and so as a result, I became recovered, right? And as a result, I had a spiritual awakening, and uh, not prior to, right? I'm no different than any 
elk eating this world, that's for sure, in the sense that I always want the easier, softer method if it's presented to me, you know? And if someone says, well, we'll give you this first, and then you can do the work after, right? I'll take that every time, right? Every time. It's my nature, still to this very day. I'm not saying I'll do it per se, but it's my nature to do it, right? And that's where this program keeps me in check. So, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little kerfuffled about what to talk about for 39 years of stuff, you know, but uh, also I know is that, you know, everywhere that this program and, and uh, living my sober life has taken me in my life, I tried to leave my legacy in the program. And, and I know when I come back to Medicine Hat here, you know, that uh, there's some people I helped, right? There's some people that I took through the steps, and they're still sober today, right? And they're doing well, and, and it, man, also the fellowship aspect of it you know so uh yeah don't drink go to meetings read your big book you know call your sponsor a lot and just do the work and you will be, be rewarded because when i landed here i thought it was the absolute worst place i ever could have ended up in my life man it was alcoholics anonymous right? i really did think it sucked the big weenie you know and how little did I know, right, the journey it would take me on. And, uh, and I know I got some of the people in Medicine Hat to thank for that, you know, for uh, uh, keeping me on straight and narrow at times. I remember the first year I was here, Dale and I were kind of button heads a little bit, right, because, uh, you know, Dale's got some experience and knowledge, and, and I've, I've got some too, you know. And uh, we're button heads a little bit, but... Uh, you know, there was a little bit of gossip going around about him about something, and uh, someone had, you know, I heard through the grapevine, if you will, and, and uh, you know, that isn't one of the great things about this fellowship, but you walk through it. When you're in the care of the higher power, you'll be fine, right? Um, but I remember uh, I saw my meeting, and I said, you know, we got to talk, man. <laughs> we went for a coffee, and... Uh, I said, I just thought you should know, right? And uh, and he thanked me for telling them, and I said, do with it what you will. But, uh, you know, we've, we've had a great relationship since, right? Because uh, I've been known to get in shit in a program a little bit from uh, time to time, if you will. And I remember one time he did that with me a couple of years later, right? You know, he's pulled me aside at the meeting and said, uh, we need to talk, man. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> went up to the chocolate shop and uh, had a little chat and he kind of filled me in. But it was, you know, it was one drunk talking to another drunk looking out for the welfare of another, right? And that's what it's all about, you know? I don't know about anyone else, but uh, I have nowhere else to go besides what he has given me. I really, truly do, you know? And I just try to take people through the program. I would just take them through the program way back when. And that's worked for me, you know? I don't know all the answers for everybody, but I do know this, right? That the message we carry carries step and weight to the new person coming in through the doors. And uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, this weekend. It's been uh, wonderful. I've had my share of health problems the last few years that I've had to work through and uh, if it hadn't been for this program and God um, I wouldn't have been able to walk through it you know and here we are so um, 
keep trying to have that relative happiness. That's all I got to say. Thanks.